Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In August, the world's attention shifted to the Amazon as wildfires raged across the world's largest tropical rainforest. As fires continue to burn, scientists say satellite imaging shows deforestation has increased 60% more this year than in 2018, coinciding with Brazil President Jair Bolsonaro's time in office, a man who ran on a campaign to roll back environmental protections. His take on what the satellite data shows? Bolsonaro calls it a lie. Coming up, how will deforestation paired with global warming impact the Amazon, our planet? A climate scientist from Brazil will join us. First, my guest in studio has returned recently from Brazil, where he reported for National Geographic. Scott Wallace is an associate professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut, a contributor to National Geographic and author of The Unconquered, In Search of the Amazon's Last Uncontacted Tribes. That was the last time we spoke to talk about uh, your book. Scott, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here again. I wanted to focus on this uh, article that you wrote for National Geographic. It came out just a few weeks ago. Uh, You write the battle now underway in the world's largest tropical rainforest. It's a battle in which the agency, chiefly responsible for protecting the forest, finds itself increasingly beleaguered. Can you explain uh, this battle that this agency faces and why? So the agency is called IBAMA, and it is Brazil's environmental protection agency. IBAMA, um, together with a couple of uh, other Uh, Brazilian government entities, including their indigenous affairs agency, FUNAI, is chiefly responsible for protecting the Amazon from illegal logging, illegal land clearing, uh, illegal uh, mineral prospecting, uh, wildlife trafficking. Uh, They are the chief agency charged with protecting the Amazon. For decades now? For decades. IBAMA was founded actually 30 years ago, so for, for the past 30 years. Uh, uh, The creation of Obama coincided with Brazil's return to democracy from military dictatorship and the um, the 1988 constitution, which is the law of the land in Brazil, a very forward-looking constitution. So Obama has been one of the pillars of stability um, in Brazil and particularly in the Amazon. But uh, with the election of Jair Bolsonaro, um, who, who took office on January 1st this year, promising to roll back environmental protections in the Amazon to open up the Amazon and not only uh, protected areas, uh, all, all protected areas in Brazil right now are under review by the Bolsonaro government, including indigenous lands, which scientists um, – say, you know, the satellite data shows that indigenous lands are, in fact, the most uh, effective barrier to deforestation in the Amazon. And so Obama, as the chief agency charged with protecting the Amazon, finds itself not only uh, under fire, if you will, um, by um, its traditional enemies, the 
illegal loggers, the mafia groups that control uh, a lot of the illegal activities in the Amazon, but also from the higher ups in their own government now with Bolsonaro in charge and the uh, environment minister, Ricardo Salas, who's a handpicked uh, you know, Bolsonaro appointee. Um, the Ministry of Environment is the ministry that looks over Obama. So uh, agents are looking both ways. They're looking, at, you know, they're facing criminals on the one hand and having to look over their shoulder on the other to see if the government has actually got their backs. Mm. That's interesting. I couldn't help uh, but think when I'm, I'm reading this story in National Geographic, uh, the parallels with uh, uh, our president and uh, contradicting scientists or saying that uh, climate scientists um, uh, don't have the, the facts right, even lately, uh, this whole uh, situation with uh, the National Weather Service in, in Alabama and where was that uh, hurricane headed. But let's talk more about uh, Jair Bolsonaro. Uh, you mentioned he got to office uh, January 1st, was elected. Uh, tell us more about him. He is uh, described as a, a nationalistic president. Right. A nationalist, a far-right leader, a former army captain who, in fact, in a lot of his uh, pronouncements, um, does not spare anything to praise the military dictatorship that uh, reigned in Brazil for 20 years from the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s. Uh, it was the military dictatorship, in fact, that opened Brazil up to colonization through the uh, building of the Trans-Amazonian Highway and then some other subsequent roads, uh, main uh, penetration uh, arteries for um, colonization of the Amazon. Some of these arteries, including the Trans-Amazonian Highway, Highway today, are major focal points of deforestation and fire that we've been seeing um, most recently. But Bolsonaro uh, is a populist, and uh, he thinks that, uh, that uh, Brazil's recovery, economic recovery, um, is dependent on exploiting the Amazon's riches, uh, regardless of the environmental impacts. So he's all for more ranching, more soy production, more gold and you know uh, diamond mining and cassiterite and other rare minerals. Um, he's all for opening it up. And the the only thing that's really stopping him so far uh, is, are the laws that are in place. Uh, but we're not sure that the institutions in Brazil will be strong enough to resist his uh, regime. You mentioned a recovery. Uh, so is uh, Bolsonaro popular among uh, the Brazilian people because they've been dealing with the recession? He's popular. He has a sort of solid base, not unlike uh, our president here. Um, there is uh, probably a third of the population, maybe a little bit more in Brazil that's solidly behind him. Uh, no matter what. And um, so a lot of his message appeals to a certain sector of Brazilian society. Um, often his uh, prescriptions are very simplistic. Uh, people don't want to have to ponder complicated, you know, solutions to problems. And when he says, let's, you know, uh, Obama, he's called Obama an industry of fines. You know, let's finish off this regime of issuing fines to environmental infractors. Let, let's open up the forest. 
and and so people like that kind of you know seemingly like charge ahead attitude. In studio with me is Scott Wallace, uh, who's a contributor to National Geographic. He's also an associate professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut. Uh, He just got back from uh, Brazil uh, this summer. He was there for a month reporting on um, how IBAMA, this agency in charge of fighting uh, this illegal logging in the Amazon, um, and what they're up against, including a government that does not back their actions. So tell us, Scott, uh, when you got to Brazil, what part of Brazil uh, were you in? And tell us a little bit about what you did there. Yeah. So uh, f- first uh, stop is Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil, to meet with officials there. But the, the focal point of my, uh, of my reporting this summer was the state of Rondonia, which is uh, far western, kind of, yeah, western Brazil, western Amazon, western Brazilian Amazon. It is a state renowned for deforestation and conflict over land and um, has uh, actually gained a lot of international renown back in the 1980s when the World Bank financed the main uh, artery that crisscrosses Rondonia, and that led to what is commonly known. So this road, uh, BR-364, that crosses Rondonia, opened up the state to massive uh, colonization and deforestation and led to this phenomenon that a lot of people are aware of called the fishbone effect, which is when you look at um, the forest from satellites, you see all these feeder roads splintering off like, you know, fishbones off a, a, off a spine. And that's a lot of what uh, has happened in Rondonia today. Anyway, Rondonia uh, is a really interesting and very gritty uh, pretty violent place. Uh, and Obama uh, chose to launch a big operation there in response to a an attack on a uh, tanker truck that was bearing, uh, bearing aviation fuel to Obama helicopters. It was stopped and torched uh, in, north e- in the northeastern corner of Rondonia uh, on July 4th. By who? Uh, well, presumably by people connected to the illegal timber trade, because this particular area in northeastern the northeastern corner of Rondonia is uh, surrounded on three sides by indigenous territories uh, that ha- that are rich in timber and with very intact forests, especially compared to everything around there, which has been deforested since the 1980s. So in this particular area, this tanker truck was stopped and burned. The, the truck was carrying fuel to Obama helicopters for an operation that they were undertaking at the moment inside one of those indigenous territories. It is expressly forbidden to log or extract resources uh, for commercial sale from indigenous territories. But that is um, officials believe that this illegal timber trade coming out of the indigenous territories is what uh, has been what's feeding the sawmills mm-hmm. in this part of uh, Rondonia. Uh, this particular district is called Espigão do Este. And that's where the Obama focused his, its efforts basically as a show of force 
uh, following this attack on the tanker truck. So when you uh, traveled with them by convoy, uh, they're heavily armed. Uh, they're yes. looking for uh, these illegal loggers, uh, sending a message that it's uh, you, you can't uh, attack a, a tanker uh, by uh, uh, led by a government uh, looking to enforce these laws. Yeah. If it's uh, expressly uh, forbidden uh, to log on this indigenous lands, how has it been able to become so lucrative? Because the people who are doing it are highly organized and have a lot of capital at their disposal. And so this is something uh, really interesting that I learned a lot more about on this trip. Uh, talking to not only was I out with Obama, but I also got the opportunity to talk to public prosecutors, federal prosecutors, federal police uh, chiefs in the state of Rondonia who explained how this organization works. These are very well capitalized operations. They have uh, the power to corrupt and bribe bureaucrats inside the government who are issuing the papers that purport to show the timber is legal and has been taken from uh, legally uh, sourced, you know, has been legally sourced from uh, government approved management plans in particular areas of forests. But what's actually happening, happening is the timber is being looted either from indigenous territories or often in t conservation units, including national parks. Mm -hmm. And then um, the documents that um, accompany this timber, that have to accompany the timber from the time it's cut to the sawmill to the, to the moving of the timber uh, to the commercial hubs in southern Brazil, these documents have to accompany this timber. And the documents are phony, but they, they have all the appearance of being legal documents. And so a lot of the timber, for example, tropical timber that comes to this country is probably is most likely illegal. But the buyers, the importers say, hey, we have documents showing this is perfectly legal timber when quite likely it is not. Scott Wallace is in studio with me here on Where We Live as we learn more about illegal logging and mining that's uh, impacting the Amazon, uh, leading to uh, one of the reasons for uh, such wide deforestation in the world's largest rainforest. When we come back from the break, uh, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel here on Where We Live. We're going to hear what happened on that bust uh, that uh, Scott Wallace was on with Obama uh, government uh, officials again uh, going after illegal loggers. And later we're going to talk more about the wider implications of deforestation in the Amazon and for our planet. You can join us too. Here's our number, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live. From Connecticut Public Radio, I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Protecting the Amazon from further deforestation. Is it a losing battle? 
Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro's policies on behalf of loggers and farmers have fueled wildfires raging in the world's largest rainforest. We're learning more about this from my guest, Scott Wallace. His latest story for National Geographic details that while logging is prohibited on indigenous land in Brazil, it's become a lucrative industry. Uh, We left off, uh, Scott, you were talking about uh, going out with this IBAMA team, which Mm. is the Environmental Protection uh, Agency in Brazil. Uh, to go after uh, loggers. So what happened? Yeah, so as we're racing across the state of Rondonia on this notorious highway BR-364 and thinking that there's some kind of element of surprise, uh, we find out uh, a video is being shared along the route of this convoy on social media uh, with an interview that's being broadcast in the social media of the logging you know, industry and those who sympathize with the local logging industry, basically announcing that Obama's on its way and the Minister of the Environment, Ricardo Salas, will be arriving in Espigao, uh, the focal point of the operation, the next morning to address uh, the people and the uh, the business concerns of Espigal. So that's how we find out that um, they already know we're coming, and that uh, the that the environment <laughs> environmental minister will basically be addressing um, the industry that Obama, his own people, have come to excuse me have come to inf- you know enforce the law against. And so that's how it th- how things started, and then. Um, so they were tipped off. Essentially. I mean, there, there were people in Obama that said, hey, they knew we were coming from the moment that truck got burned, which was two weeks before, they had to know that we were going to respond. But they didn't know when, and now they knew when. Uh, so one police agent said to me, you know, oh, great. Now that they know we're coming, they're going to pull all the equipment and their men out of the indigenous territories will discover the crime, but not the criminals. Mm. And uh, which is essentially right. Um, in the days that followed, all these operations uh, that Obama launched uh, found illegal stashes of timber, discovered uh, lots of uh, uh, dubious timber of dubious sourcing on the grounds of a number of sawmills around this particular area that we were in. And so I accompanied the agents as they uh, went into half a dozen sawmills in this area, really close to the indigenous territories. I flew in helicopters with them into the indigenous territories. And, uh, yeah, there were there was plenty of indications of uh, of, you know, the crime, but everyone had taken off. So there was no nobody was caught in the act. This sounds like dangerous work. Are there times where uh, members of the Environmental Protection Agency, Obama, are attacked? Actually, since uh, I was there just a couple of weeks ago, actually maybe just even last week or the week before, uh, the uh, Obama agents operating in the state of Pará mm-hmm. came under gunfire as they were attempting to shut down uh, several illegal mining operations, which are highly destructive um, operations, and they were um, they were shot at, um, yeah, uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier, you talked about uh, that uh, logging on indigenous lands is forbidden. When did it become illegal and why? It's actually um, since it's always been illegal to um, 
Um, Well, certainly since the 1988 Constitution, which guarantees indigenous people um, the the right to um, use the land. The land, uh, so uh, 14% of uh, Brazil is... um, uh, has been declared indigenous territory. There are a number of uh, demarcations, which is what you call the process of actually scoping out the boundaries and making the boundaries of an indigenous territory legal. There are many of those still in process, which the Bolsonaro government has said they're going to completely freeze. And the Bolsonaro government has said we're going to review, in fact, all the declared indigenous territories. But according to the Constitution, the indigenous people have the right to uh, use that uh, their territory where they have traditionally lived uh, to carry on their traditional ways of life, to to sustain their traditional culture, to uh, for hunting, fishing, all the things that indigenous people um, do as part of their daily life, but not to commercially sell the. Uh, the resources in a environmentally destructive way that will impinge upon their ability to live traditionally in untrammeled uh, wilderness regions. Uh, the Brazilian president, Bolsonaro, talks about uh, there being poverty and uh, why not use this resource to uh, better the lives of the people who live there. So talk a little bit about um, that uh, situation in these tribes where some believe we need to protect this land and these resources, but others see uh, that they can make a big big bucks uh, doing this. So. It's a spurious argument to say the indigenous people are living in poverty. The fact of the matter is that they, if as long as their forests are intact, they have and they are uh, free from the intrusions of loggers, miners, and outsiders looking to profit from the resources they have. Their way of life is pretty good. Granted. Uh, it's you know the brazilian government has been negligent in terms of providing things like basic necessities that as a result of contact with our larger world have become necessities such as you know western medicine uh maybe soap clothing things like that and so uh part of the way this whole process of of uh, of indigenous people beginning to sell off resources was because they had no money to acquire these basic goods, medicine, soap, clothing, things like that. Um, but um, the, uh, yeah. The so, situation within the tribes, though. So, oh, uh, some so yeah. So, that- so, yeah. So, uh, there are many in the tribes who wish to remain, as I said, like this, living their traditional way of life without um, commercial exploitation of their resources. But the uh, the lure of fast cash and the things that seem to be uh, very attractive about our culture, you know, flying around in planes and building big houses outside the indigenous territories and, you know, using money for all the things that it can buy, that is a an attractive lure for people. And so increasingly what you see uh, are indigenous communities divided on this question of whether or not to exploit the resources for short-term gain or to find sustainable ways to 
preserve the homelands into the future. Uh, Scott, you write uh, that the Obama bust that you witnessed uh, uncovered 20 sawmills, issued fines totaling close to $1.5 million. Three mills were definitively shut down. So are Obama uh, members, are they making an impact uh, despite the, the government having a different position uh, in terms of should this land be exploited? Why do they continue to do the work? Uh, well, they are having an impact. They're certainly having an impact right there where they were operating. And they've been on a big operation where they were shot at um, over the past several weeks in, in the state of Pará. Uh, it's really the only way to, uh, if you will, kind of plug uh, the dike at least with a finger, to try to hold back this flood of uh, rainforest destruction coming from so many places. So um, the people of Ibama, I have great admiration for them. They are incredibly dedicated, and they totally believe in what they're doing. And they'll continue to do it um, because there's no other choice. And it's proven to be the most effective way so far to, to protect the rainforest. Scott Wallace is my in-studio guest. He's an associate professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut. He's also a longtime contributor to National Geographic, uh, was there uh, this summer reporting on efforts to cut back on uh, illegal logging and mining in the Amazon. Let's talk more about uh, this uh, gateway to deforestation. Uh, You write that illegal selective logging is not the principal cause of deforestation clear-cutting or of the devastating fires that have alarmed the entire world. So a lot of us paying attention to the Amazon uh, in August uh, when we saw the headlines of it burning. Uh, but tell us more about how this selective logging, what it does uh, to uh, the rainforest. Scott. Right. Uh, so logging, so loggers are motivated by profit and they want to take out the most valuable timber. That And that most valuable timber is, is uh, valuable enough to capitalize the um, the operations required to go get it, which mean building roads, uh, and often these are, are narrow roads that snake under the jungle canopy, so they are difficult to detect by aerial surveillance. To get at the in, in a lot of parts of the Amazon, the most most iconic species like mahogany and cedar have disappeared. But now um, ipe, which is actually very popular in this country as a material for decking, and as these are beautiful trees, these are being harvested. Masaranduba, some other species that we haven't heard of, but they are, um, they are precious hardwoods. Uh, so once the loggers go in and take those trees out, uh, that, th- those, those uh, trees once they're toppled, leave gaps in the jungle canopy that allows sunlight to penetrate down to the forest floor, which dries out the forest floor and makes it more prone to fire. So that's one thing. The other thing is, perhaps more importantly, is the logging is often used then to finance the clear cutting. So once the selective logging takes place, um, often you'll have... uh, you know, the the money, and many times it's the same people behind the operation who have taken the trees and then will come in and raise what's left of the forest, let it dry out, and then burn it when the dry season comes. And so these th- that's the way that deforestation is connected to illegal logging. 
And then once that land is cleared, uh, then do you have uh, farming taking the place with this land? Yeah. So just like the issuing of phony uh, timber certificates, chain of custody certificates when it comes to the timber, um, these same people or other syndicates um, will uh, traffic the the land. Once they've cleared it, they will um, eventually issue uh, phony documents purporting to show that they are the owners of the land and they'll sell it. So the land is cleared oftentimes if it's not the same person who's planning to put uh, graze cattle on that land or plant um, soy. Um, the land is divided up into lots and sold off. And oftentimes, the people who buy these lots are n- may not even be aware of the illegal provenance of the land, that this is actually land, public land that has been stolen uh, by these. Um, in Brazil, there's a common term for these people. They're called grileiros. They're land grabbers. And it's a big business in the Amazon. Mm. Uh, we talked about uh, the impact of logging uh, on uh, deforestation. But what about on the ecosystem, on the tribes, the indigenous tribes that you've gotten to know throughout your reporting career? What's well, the uh, impact on them with this deforestation, these fires that yeah, continue to well, rage it's, today? It's, uh, you know, the impact is very um, intense. Not only are they subjected to the smoke and so forth, but uh, these these uh, the clearing is going on, if not inside their own territories, which is happening in Rondonia right now. Uh, there are tribes who are uh, living in fear because there are land grabbers t- trying to take ter- their territory. And so uh, that becomes extremely dramatic. Not only that, but in places even where there are not land grabbers who are actually trying to occupy their land and take it back um, and, you know, uh, privatize it, if you will, uh, the arrival in their territories of illegal mineral prospectors or um, – or ranchers, uh, this is uh, uh, this has a unsettling effect in the community itself, dividing the community, provoking strife, um, and, and communities that lived um, in pretty much in social harmony and had their traditional ways of resolving, you know, whatever conflicts might arise, now find themselves uh, in a great deal of strife. Uh, especially because in a lot of cases, these people who are, you know, entering indigenous land or working on the margins of it have a, you know, are often um, higher, they have hired gunmen and there is violence that accompanies these activities. And, you know, there are, there are threats of death that are real. Uh, last time we spoke again, you've written the book, The Unconquered, In Search of the Amazon's Last Uncontact- Uncontacted Tribes. Uh, what about them? Are, um, are they continuing to be pushed out of uh, the traditional land that they've lived on, um, where they've been protected? I'm just curious if you can give us an update on them. Yeah, well, um, you know, one of the scary things is we don't actually know. We don't know how they're faring this season with the with the fires. Um, it's quite likely that in some places they are um, finding themselves on the run from from the fire from and and, and really the dry season and the and the burning season is only really beginning now. It's going to continue till the end of the year, and so 
We we don't really know, but there is a great deal of concern uh, right now. Last just uh, on Friday, a um, a longtime collaborator with Funai, the Indigenous Affairs Agency, was murdered on the streets of Tabatinga, which is on the border of Brazil, Colombia, and Peru. Um, who this this man, young man, murdered in front of his wife and baby, uh, had been working for Funai in the Javari Valley for 12 years. That's the um, area where my book, um, the, the, I described a, the expedition um, into this land, the Javari Valley Indigenous Reserve in Brazil, on far western Brazil. That hosts the largest concentration of isolated and uncontacted tribes in the world. And there is a great deal of concern that there is penetration going on there um, by poachers, animal wildlife poachers, timber poachers, and we don't know about the you know how that's and and illegal miners, uh, gold prospectors, and so was this man's work the cause or the reason for his murder? And a lot of people think that yes, that's why he was killed. And so there's a lot of apprehension about those among those who work to protect the isolated tribes that they are in danger, and the isolated tribes are too. And when those isolated tribes are contacted um, or exposed uh, to the outside world, they're also exposed to diseases. Correct, because the uncontacted groups or the isolated groups, however you want to use the term, um, uncontacted is kind of a shorthand, but it basically means um, you know they do not have immunity. One of the things it means is they do not have immunity to our germs and pathogens, and they are extremely susceptible to the um, diseases that evolved over millennia on the Eurasian landmass that you know we brought to the Americas, they are still as susceptible to those diseases as were the tribes encountered by Christopher Columbus on Hispaniola more than 500 years ago, and so that is a great concern. Um, the the a- epidemics that can rip through their communities, uh, but you know the people who are inclined to penetrate their territories and plunder their resources. Uh, also go in there heavily armed, and they are not, um, uh, you know, they don't shy away from using violence if need be. So that's a big concern as well. Uh, you were there in Brazil in July. Um, what has been the impact, if at all, uh, from the international community, uh, whether uh, they've uh, criticized Bolsonaro and his policies? Has anything changed in regards to the situation you witnessed? Well, I think so, because We've seen that uh, the outcry over the uh, over all these uh, forest fires in Brazil has led uh, Bolsonaro to retract his uh, uh, some of his statements. He actually has um, authorized the army to help uh, in the putting out of these fires or in the fight against the fires. So, in fact, for example. Last week, or last month, I should say, during the month of August, uh, IBAMA, the Environmental Protection Agency, went on this big operation where they were shot at in the state of Pará. And they only went on that operation because Bolsonaro had, had authorized the army to go with him, the army and the federal police. Up until then, IBAMA had had to suspend operations in the state of Pará because the state police, the military police of the state, refused to provide protection for them. And these areas are distant. They are dealing with very potentially violent people. It's extremely dangerous for IBAMA to launch these operations without 
you know, a heavily armed uh, military or police escort. My guest in studio is Scott Wallace, a contributor to National Geographic, also associate professor of journalism at the University of Connecticut. As we talk more about what's happening uh, in the Amazon uh, that is continuing to cause uh, deforestation and these wildfires that have captured our attention. Now, after the break, a climate scientist from Brazil will join us to talk about the impact of deforestation, but the, also the wider implications for our planet. You can join us, too. Our number, 888-720-9677, or find Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Just a quick program note. Tomorrow we have Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro in studio with us to answer your questions. She's a longtime uh, member of Congress now for 28 years. Make sure you join us for tomorrow. Now, today we've been talking about deforestation in the Amazon and what's happening on the ground in Brazil. My in-studio guest is Scott Wallace, a contributor to National Geographic. We wanted to talk more about the long-term impacts of deforestation on the Amazon, but also our planet. So joining us now uh, via Skype, Dr. Carlos Nobre, senior researcher with the University of Sao Paulo's Institute of Advanced Studies. Uh, Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. My pleasure. So uh, let's start off and tell us more about why the Amazon is so significant when we think about uh, implications for our planet, its role. Yes, uh, the Amazon, uh, to start with, uh, stores a huge amount of carbon in the forest, uh, and that carbon has to, to remain in the forest because we are fighting the climate crisis. If all that carbon ends up in the atmosphere, the probability of not exceeding the Paris Accord targets and the planet to warm up three, four degrees is very high. So this is a very important ecosystem service, uh, keeping all that carbon in, in the forest and all, actually the tropical forests, uh, they also remove uh, a large amount of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere through photosynthesis. So this is an ecosystem service of great importance to fight the climate crisis. But of course, there is more. The Amazon forest has the highest biodiversity of any, any place on Earth. And it's very important to maintain species. So if we lose the Amazon forest, we are going to lose hundreds of thousands of species. And last but not less important, uh, the Amazon forest also uh, is very important for climate stabilization in South America and also uh, of importance to other more distant regions. Uh, the Amazon forest cools the climate. If we lose the forest, the temperatures will rise two, three degrees in the Amazon, but also around the area surrounding the Amazon. And also rainfall patterns will change mm -hmm. profoundly in the Amazon. Rainfall will decline 20, 25% and also in other parts of South America. So the Amazon still is the most protected tropical forest in the planet and it should be kept 
as that, in fact, we should restore some of the deforest areas. Uh, Carlos, we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, the satellite imaging uh, scientists saying that deforestation has uh, increased uh, more than 50 percent in the last year. When you hear that, um, and you've been a longtime uh, climate scientist, uh, has the Amazon, are we close to seeing it reach a tipping point? Unfortunately, we are close to reaching a tipping point. Uh, There is a lot of research. I've been also doing that research since 1980s. The first uh, article that we published was 1990 in Science, uh, talking about the risk of savannization. Savannization is is like a lot of the Amazon forest turning into a dry savanna, like in Central South America. And uh, we made a lot of studies and also many other people in the scientific community in the world. And we conclude that if we exceed 20-25% of total deforestation in the Amazon, it will really tip towards this dry savanna. We are currently at about 17% of total deforestation in the Amazon. It seems to be not a lot, I mean, compared to tropical forests in in Africa or Southeast Asia. But for the Amazon, it's very critical to maintain most of the forest. And unfortunately, my concern comes not only because of these theoretical uh, projections, but because we are seeing the climate change in the Amazon. The dry season is becoming longer in Southern Eastern Amazon over perhaps two, three million square kilometers and we are starting to see the Amazon being less able to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And also we are seeing tree mortality increasing in the Amazon, also affected by these very severe droughts that we had in 2005, 2010, and 2015-16. So we are very near this tipping point And that's why we need to stop deforestation immediately and also, in fact, restore large tracts of forest. I'm talking with Dr. Carlos Nobre, senior researcher with the University of Sao Paulo's Institute of Advanced Studies. He's joining us today via Skype. Uh, Carlos, because we're talking to you uh, from Brazil, uh, you know, I am curious what your response is to President Bolsonaro uh, earlier calling uh, this uh, deforestation data or the satellite data a lie, even refusing uh, funding from the G7. Uh, of course, uh, that happened in July. Uh, and uh, because of the president himself caring about uh, making those statements, there were a lot of studies, immediate science-based studies, and they all, all confirmed that the Brazil's Institute for Spatial Research data was absolutely correct. Uh, the, the system that this institute developed is really, it's an early warning system. It's just to tell the law enforcement agencies, uh, and Scott uh, mentioned a lot about Obama. Uh, so this law enforcement a- agency receives daily something like, you know, a few hundred warnings of places where deforestation may be taking place. And so that guides the, let's say, the law enforcement agents into their field operations. So this system is very robust. It has been proved to be absolutely correct. 
So there is no point. You know, the president was very unfortunate in calling those figures a lie. Uh, and uh, everyone knows those those figures are correct, unfortunately, showing this very high increase in deforestation rates and the, the consequent increase in forest fires, because, of course, most of these fires started not out of lightning strikes, but out of people setting lighting fires in these chopped down trees. So the president was very uh, unfortunate to make that statement. But on the other hand, because he made that statement, it raised awareness globally. In, and perhaps the president, without uh, uh, knowing, he was doing something that can be beneficial to finding sustainable ways for the Amazon on the medium and long run. Uh, we should stress that deforestation actually came down 75 percent from 2005 to 2014. So when you talk, Carlos, about the Amazon being close to the tipping point, uh, what needs to change? How can uh, this uh, be rolled back so that uh, this further trend doesn't continue? Well, first, I think you know Scott also covered that very well. Uh, I mean, we have to really empower the enforcement agents we have that was really the main the key reason for success from 2005 2014 was really law enforcement became very present very effective so they attacked systematically the organized crime uh, behind all this illegal deforestation also there was a lot of campaigns to help farmers and ranchers to use fire but without letting fire to, to propagate into the forest. And also there was a lot of other policies, subsidies for counties which would uh, somehow reduce deforestation. So all those things, uh, they really worked. So we know how to reduce deforestation. And uh, therefore we have to empower the, the law enforcement agents because this is on the short run, this is really the way to go. On the medium run, long term, we really have to find different ways to develop the Amazon. It's very clear that the current way, you know, livestock farming, illegal logging, uh, soy crops is very, very uh, unproductive economically and very, very destructive. So we have to think about new ways and they have to be disruptive because it's not sufficient only to marginally increment productivity of livestock farming or soy crops. We have really to think of the Amazon in different terms. We have to think of the Amazon in terms of its biodiversity. Biodiversity uh, really uh, hides the greatest potential for development of the Amazon. So when we, uh, when you're talking about putting pressure on these global agri business uh, businesses uh, to uh, cut back or on on, on these factors that drive uh, deforestation, uh, not doing it in one place, but then uh, you know maybe um, in another uh, area of the Amazon, continuing those practices, has that been seen, Carlos? Well, you know, the, it has it has been seen in some some level. Let's say big trading companies like you know in the soy market, uh, uh, Cargill, Bungi, and others, they have really agreed years ago not to to purchase soy coming from illegally deforested areas. This is so-called soy moratorium. 
signed in 2006, but it really worked. Somehow it was only in Brazil and the deforestation leaked to the Bolivian Amazon. So one has to have a global view and also deforestation free supply chains are very important. Consumers are very important to, to do a responsible consumption behavior and also even going to investment funds. If investment funds really are very, uh, very correct in terms of not uh, purchasing uh, or having deforestation free portfolios, that would really command a new economic for the Amazon. But this is not sufficient because even if this business becomes more uh, uh, environmental conscious, but still the drivers will be there for deforestation. So we have really to find uh, new, new ways to harness the biological assets of the forest. Those are the, the greatest potentials for the Amazon. That's Dr. Carlos Nobre. Uh, Scott Wallace is still with me in studio. Uh, Scott, did you want to respond uh, to uh, what uh, he has to say about some efforts to uh, try to curb deforestation at the levels we're seeing today? Well, first of all, I'd like to say what an honor it is to be sharing uh, this uh, program with, with you, Carlos. Um, I'm a great admirer of your work, and we all know how important your work is. Um, and uh, yeah, I think this. Uh, I think Carlos was really right about you know um, it, international pressure, consumers being very conscious of the choices they make in terms of their, um, in, in terms of the purchases they make. Uh, one of the things that I, I mentioned before is a lot of importers of timber, for example, um, have every reason to believe that the timber that they are importing or they, they have reason to believe that it's actually legally sourced when it's quite possible that it's not. And so it's really important, I think, for home builders as well as home buyers to um, press their uh, – you know, press their uh, th their suppliers for um, solid information about where their timber is coming from. For example, I think the same thing goes for you know. Uh, I think we're seeing you know people companies deciding not to purchase leather from Brazil, which is um, an another important step as well. I want to thank Scott Wallace for joining us, a contributor to National Geographic. We'll tweet out a link to his story, uh, his latest story on uh, efforts to uh, curb illegal logging uh, in Brazil. Scott, thank you. Thank you. Also joining us today, Dr. Carlos Nobre, senior researcher with the University of Sao Paulo's Institute of Advanced Studies. Joining us today via Skype, Carlos, thank you for your time here on Where We Live. Thank you very much. Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. Uh, special thanks to our technical producer, Kion Wolf and Carmen Baskoff. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>